Welcome to We Fish ASA, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. My name is Steve Sarley. My partner is Dave Kranz. We Fish ASA is always happy to offer you conversation with the most interesting, the most informative, the most entertaining, as well as some of the biggest names in the world of fishing. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association, especially St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Calcutta, Baker's Carolina products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion, and Daiwa. We've got your bass covered. Daiwa Reels. Gotta get a Daiwa Reel, folks. We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast everywhere you can get your podcasts. We are available virtually everywhere, 24-7, 52 weeks out of the year. Always a new show. Don't forget to get the free We Fish ASA app for iDevices at the Play Store. And the podcast is always available at our website, wefishasa.com. We Fish ASA is recorded and produced. Well, it's recorded at two studios in Chicago. Dave's at one, I'm at the other. We do the interviews. We send the audio down to our good friend and executive producer, Brad Nearman, from Berserk Productions in Land Lakes, Florida. He puts it together, makes it sound as good as it does. Hey, Brad, thank you very much. On today's show, we welcome, as always, Dan Johnston from St. Croix. Wonder what Dan and Dave are going to talk about today. And then uh, Dave's going to be on again with uh, Ken Duke from Fishing Tackle Retailer. He is the guru, knows more about the fishing industry than anybody has a right to know. That's my opinion. And... uh, That'll be an interesting interview. Can't wait to hear that. I get to sit in with uh, Tommy Keenan, one of the best walleye anglers of all time. Proven by the fact that the, they just decided to put him into the National Pre- Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, Hayward, Wisconsin. Yeah, my buddy Tommy Keenan is a Hall of Famer. How cool is that? Let's turn it over to Dave Kranz, who's going to bring on our friend Dan Johnston. Hey, David, here you go. Take it away. As Steve said, I am Dave Kranz. This is the We Fish ASA podcast, and this segment is brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. And I'd like to welcome back Dan Johnson. How are you doing, Dan? Doing great, Dave. Awesome. So uh, new, latest, greatest things. I mean, a lot of stuff uh, that we've seen come out over the last year or two, and uh, you know, some of the things we got to see at ICAST this uh, last July. Uh I thought we we should talk about that forward-facing sonar. You've been using it for a, a couple of months, and uh, uh, it's, a, it's a game changer, isn't it? It's funny. You, you know, there's few things that have come out in the last, well, in the 22 years I've been with St. Croix, and the years and years and years I was even a buyer prior to that, that are, I would use the, the term game changer. I would call Minn Kota Spotlock that. Um, I would call structure scan or side imaging that and i would call forward-facing sonar that well from the garmin panoptics to the live target gorilla ants or the hummingbird mega live you know i mean all so they are absolutely unbelievable i've, I've had my hands on one now for uh, a couple months now and once i got familiar with it uh, boy, I'm telling you, there's certain scenarios where it has completely changed the game for me. I'm being persistent to get bites, and um, I can't even say enough about it. I, I'm, I just got back from the big crappie show down in Louisiana, and those guys down there, if you don't have it, might as well not show up the way they were fishing. I mean, they're literally targeting specific tournament-quality fish and patiently trying to catch them and get them to bite. It's It's just amazing. Yeah, and they can um, tell what size they are, and they can probably by the shape easy enough tell that it's a crappie and not a bass or or something else, and 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 that does make a difference. Uh, uh, do you know that the did the top finishers down there uh, definitely use it? Yeah, they all talked about it up on the stage. Okay, right. and, and and what was interesting is. You know, and this goes back to that, that, uh, you know, we've talked about this before. Sometimes in ice fishing electronics, sometimes you can see them and not catch them. And that happened to the guys on the second day. Now, I'm not going to say they didn't catch them, but there were a lot of the biggest marks they couldn't get to bite. And that can happen, but it tells you so much about fish attitude and location and water column and, you know, whether you should downsize or speed up or slow down. It just, it's, it's an amazing 
piece of information that it most importantly is real time. It's live. That's what I'm learning. I've been pitching a drop shot to smallmouth in Wisconsin with it. And it's just become absolutely lethal with it. It's amazing. Um, so yeah, the, the, all of the top places down there used it. Um, and you saw in the Bassmaster Classic a couple times now, guys are doing it and winning it. Hank Cherry, the most notable example a couple years ago, um, really kicked that football off with all the guys saying, boy, if you don't have this thing, you're behind before you even start. And I would have to agree after, after using it now, the little I've used it, I'm still in the infancy stage compared to these other guys, but boy, I'm good enough now with it where if I see one in the right spot, I, my confidence that I'm going to catch it goes way, way up. Yeah, and, and even if you can't catch some of those marks uh, immediately, you know to go back to that spot because there are, you know, you're not just looking at structure. You are looking at actual fish, and you know that they're, they're, they are your target species, whether that's bass or whether that's uh, crappies, you know, or even walleyes, you know, whatever whatever you're looking for. So that that is uh, something that is important, and, uh, you know, you you might figure out too that on a wind change or, or, you know, cloud cover or sun or whatever, in the case of smallies, sometimes they hit better when the sun comes out and, and you get um, an opportunity to go back to places where you saw the right fish and the right size and, and you know, they're there. So that it definitely can uh, make a big, big difference. Um, what is the application you've been using? You've been using it for crappies and bass? Both for sure. But most recently, smallmouth bass on sand and sparse grass that are fish that are cruising it's become a, a lethal technique i'm pitching a little drop shot at them and the clearer the water is the farther i have to throw it in front of them um the dirtier the water is i try to hit them in the face with it um but i'm not kidding you it's, it's the point now where if i see 10 of them i'll catch six of them if they're in the right scenario, it's just amazing. Now, if you get in heavy vegetation, I'm still struggling with that. I know there's people out there picking them out of that with it. I am not good enough to do that yet. But another thing I use it for religiously is marking bait on cover and fish on cover, specifically rock piles, transition changes. Like if you, you can mark a weed edge with this thing, Dave, it'll absolutely blow your mind how clear it'll mark a weed edge. And not only that, it'll show you where the bait is set up on the weed edge, what direction they're moving. Are they lifted above it? Or is there a bass under them? Or, I mean, it's just unbelievable. And, and then what you got to do is try to wrap your head around that underwater picture that you're seeing, and then just try to put two and two together with the right tool to get them to get them to bite it. But, it's more information right now than I ever thought was humanly possible because it is live time, live, you know, real time. And for years and years and years, we'd see something after the fact and have to pitch back to it. Or, you know, even with 360 is really cool. Um, but to see fish actually swimming around like with, with the new mega live hummingbird or the Lorance active target um, is just a whole nother level that people really need to pay attention to. Yeah, it's another learning curve, and um, like you said, you can you can find these fish before they know that you're on top of them. And you know, all of us, if it's gin clear water where you can see fish cruising, and yeah, you can throw in front of them. But generally, if you've seen them, very few of those are going to hit. This allows you to see them before they know you're there. Oh, that's exactly my point. You know, and you can scan that thing. <clears throat> Excuse me, I have my my transducer hooked up to my transducer or my Alteryx. So whenever that, wherever that shaft points is where that's pointing. So I could just let my boat go in a little glide and work this thing like a big scan radar. And and once I find out where that fish is at, um, I can use some other logic to determine how I want to try to catch it. But it's it's like nothing I've ever seen. And there's a company now that is making a uh, in the crappie market. Um, card called cornhole crappie. They're making a. Some of the bass guys are using it now. It's a. It's an accessory shaft that comes down that mounts your uh, live or your forward-facing sonar independent of your trolling motor shaft. Mm. And he showed me last week you can lock on a target no matter what your boat does. Your forward facer doesn't come off the target, which is getting ridiculous. I mean, this technology is to the point now where people really have an advantage that they've never had before. Yeah, and I, I uh, uh, definitely can see that. I also could see the application for people that are fishing open water fish and suspended fish. 
Well, that's where it's, I would argue, most lethal. Crappie, one thing about bass that people are starting to say is you can actually bump them. They'll actually, not, they won't run from it, but they definitely won't just sit there and check it out and eat it like they did when it first came out. And crappies do. They will sit there and completely set up and you can go right up to them and point, light them up and throw something and catch a bunch of them. It's a little easier with crappie in terms of their attitude and the way they, they just set up and stay there. They, they don't, they don't, they don't run from it at all. So that's really becoming, um, the, the most, the most effective crappie fishing tool I've ever had in, in catching suspended, suspended crappies, um, summer patterns over the top of whatever, even if it's suspended in a bluff wall, you can see them sitting there and, and literally throw to them. No, that's really neat. And when the, the dollars that they're paying at these events now, this one that you just got back from, um, it was a high dollar tournament. And I heard that there were several different bass guys that were getting into it just because of the dollars that were involved on the crappie. If they, if they were, you know, invited in as, uh, you know, they had some sponsor exemptions and things like that. Uh, but there, uh, there was more than just the normal crappie guys that were fishing it. Well, they were for the first place won a hundred thousand dollars. Second place was forty thousand. I talked to Shaw Grigsby. He fished it. Paul Elias was working right next to the booth, right next to me. He was in it. Um, so yeah, there were some bass names in it as well. But these guys are the real deal, uh, and it's sophisticated. And they're using technology, and they're great anglers. And this prize purses are starting to go up. And it's a it's an, a really exciting time for the sophisticated crappie angler. Absolutely. We had had uh, Wally Marshall on the program here um, last week before the event, and uh, he was giving us a little bit of uh, information on it. But uh, yeah, definitely um, something that I think is here to stay. It's not, And I see the walleye, all these tournaments coming back, the walleye circuits seem to be uh, gaining strength. I think fishing in general has is, is, um, gotten better and uh, greater awareness and uh, you know, they just, the techniques are changing and, and like the catch and release where you're not weighing them and bringing five in, that that's coming on. And then when you get this kind of technology of forward-facing sonar, you're kind of like, boy, what else is coming down the road here? Oh, trust me, something will. Uh, that's a beautiful part about this sport is it's always something. I mean, you know, it wasn't long ago, spot lock and you know, all these things on the trolling motor side. And like I mentioned, uh, um, you know, side imaging and, and, and uh, structure scan came out and we thought, OK, where, where can it? I think you and I had this conversation. Where, where can they go from here? Well, here we go. Here we go. And yeah. don't, don't be surprised in one minute if a couple of years from now we're not talking about something else. Oh, and I'm and I'm sure there's a lot of creativity out there. I'm sure we will. And and the spot lock, uh, uh, I would also throw in there the spot lock. You know, the motor has to move, and but but the power poles. Uh, you know, yeah. anchoring anchoring system. That's another game changer. That that you you can't build a boat without these things. And I, I you wonder why they're so expensive. It's because they keep adding the toys. The boats themselves have not gotten that expensive, but but every accessory that we put on one nowadays uh, sure is. And uh, yeah, it'll be exciting to what we uh, we see comes down the line here, and and you're right, we'll be talking about it because you know here we're in uh, 60 year programming on this, and you've done most of these episodes, and uh, definitely appreciate it, Dan. No, it's always my pleasure, Dave. Appreciate you having me on. It's just fun to connect with the listeners out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was Dan Johnston. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote. And this segment was brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. The We Fish ASA podcast will be right back. Probably one of the number one questions I get, you know, what line do I use? It's a big debate. For every tour out there, everybody's debating which line. I choose the simple side. My choice of line is Sunline. One of my favorite lines to use is Sunline. How all can you use it? Anywhere you want to. Anywhere there's water and bass, it's good. Walleye, catfish, trout, speckled trout, sharks. There we go. Uh, I don't say this unless I think it's true, but honestly, it's the best in the market. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. 
Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Rule your water. Rule it with a St. Croix rod. Whether you take to the lake, wade the rivers, or cast from shore, St. Croix provides responsive performance, ensuring your success below every surface. With a St. Croix rod in hand, you're a part of a celebrated tradition that has spanned 70 years. Touch, power, and control are right at your fingertips and extend to you the finest fishing experience on the planet. St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Welcome back to the We Fish ASA podcast. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote, and this segment is brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. And I always like to say everyone I have on this segment has a passion for the outdoors, and my next guest has been on many times, and he has a passion for the outdoors. He is Ken Duke. He is the editor of Fishing Tackle Retailer. Welcome back to the program, Ken. Always a pleasure, Dave. You know I've been sitting in the green room for months now, waiting to get back on the program. Finally, you have me. I'm glad to be here. Well, it was, you know, the reason you've been sitting there for so long is we've had a hard time getting your request of lobster. (laughs) I think it's a a small request. I don't think it's a big deal, especially with all the power you and Steve wield in the industry. You should be able to get me some lobster. (laughs) We're we're still working on it. But, you know, we haven't talked in a while, but... um, I thought we'd talk about industry trends, what's going on in the industry. We went through an ICAST. We got uh, got through that. We got to get back together. Fairly decent turnout there. Uh, I believe almost 11,000 people. And uh, uh, But there's still a lot of issues in our industry, aren't there? Yeah, yeah, there are. And most of them revolve around the supply chain, Dave. Um, we had a great ICAST, I thought. I thought it was nothing short of a great ICAST in terms of uh, participation. As you said, almost 11,000 attendees. Uh, a lot of vendors were there. I think I've never talked to as many people who were so enthusiastic about their ICAST experience as I did this year. A lot of people told me, and I would agree, that maybe it was the best ICAST they've ever attended. Now, uh, that doesn't mean that everything was perfect. Of course, uh, the worst thing about ICAST this year was a lot of people, I'm talking no doubt hundreds of people, uh, left and had COVID. And, uh, and they've had, you know, most of them that I've spoken with or that I, I know of have made full recoveries. Everything is fine now. But, but that's obviously disappointing that uh, so many people uh, came away with the virus after that. But I, I think most of them would do it again simply because uh, it was such a good business experience at the show. And uh, I'll tell you what, I did, I did not get COVID, um, and I, uh, I would certainly do it again and run the risk again because it was uh, overall such a good show. Yeah, I did not either, and but I do know some people that did, some of the uh, uh, professional fishermen that couldn't do tournaments and some other people in the industry. But I, And I would agree it was a great experience i think we we're all we're so ready to get back to a face-to-face our industry is not that big it is a small family of of people even though it's a huge industry dollar wise but um yeah the supply chain issues i um and i don't know if we're going to start seeing more things get manufactured in the in the u.s because of it as pricing goes up and as supplies can't be had it's certainly an advantage to those that do produce here isn't it it is an advantage to those who produce here, uh, but it, it, since that's a, a relatively small number, mm-hmm. um, percentage-wise, and then you also have to factor in, let's say, let's say a company makes spinnerbaits, and um, they get the wire, they get the lead, they get the paint and the hooks domestically, but they don't get the swivels domestically. The swivels, let's say, are made in China or Japan or somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You can't make even one spinnerbait without that swivel. So that creates a severe supply chain problem for that company, even though 99% of their components may be available right here in the U.S. with no difficulty. So it's it's impressive and daunting and, to a degree, I guess, uh, kind of scary how pervasive these problems can be. Um, and And it's interesting we talk about 
about the, the challenges to the industry and the supply chain problem because uh, I've got one of my very best writers working on a story that's going to run in the November-December issue of Fishing Tackle Retailer Magazine. It's Shannon Farlow, and Shannon is working on a story about the supply chain problems and uh, what really the problems are because the deeper I dug into it personally, the more I realized I did not know. Um, there are issues with regard to uh, uh, cargo containers, shipping containers. There are issues with regard to the number of available truck drivers. There are issues uh, regarding the overcrowding and, and uh, uh, pileup of cargo ships trying to get into the various ports around our country. And, and, and not to give away the, uh, the ending, because I don't think it's a surprise to many, but a, a lot of experts are predicting that we are not going to be clear of these supply chain issues in a significant way for perhaps another 18 months. Right, which is, which is a long time, and um, uh, that's, you know, as a retailer also, that's why I've, I've been buying different the last 18 months because, because of that. And it's, uh, you know, you go back 18 months, you go forward 18 months. I mean, you know, three years is a long time to have issues. And, you know, as a, as a retailer, uh, I need to buy from as many places as I can. But that being said, I think that's almost an advantage to a, a independent retail group because the so many of the big box stores have contracted with, we're going to have this made in this factory for us only, where we can buy from five or six or seven different vendors or, or factories, and we can get product probably easier than they can. Well, that's great. And that, and that takes the kind of planning and strategy that a, a veteran tackle dealer like yourself can, can look to and do. And, uh, and hopefully a lot of people are, are following your lead on that, Dave. And I know you write about things like that in, in our magazine, and I appreciate your uh, Retail Matters column that's in every issue uh, because those are, those are the kind of challenges that, that not just retailers in the tackle industry have, which are the folks that I'm concerned with, but retailers of all kinds. You know, these, these supply chain disruptions are, are crippling to a great many companies. And uh, to think that they're, you know, weeks away from being solved is one thing, but to think that they're more than a year away from being solved is, is pretty scary stuff. It is. It also is creating pressure on pricing, uh, supply and demand. You're getting... Uh People are not discounting things because they don't have to. If, you, if it's available and you want it, and I'll, you know, you have to buy it. I get people to come in my store, and I, I may not have the item they have, and but you know, I try to sell them what I do have or something that's a suitable substitute. But if if not, and I don't have it, I say if you find it, buy it because right now I've been waiting six, eight months, a year for some of these products to come through my door. So you you and I and you're right. It's not just our industry. It's it's. Uh, around the world uh, because of what's going on. And the computer chips are an issue. Anything with a computer, you know, the electronics, oh there's gosh, a lot yeah. of things. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it really has touched every industry, I think, that I know of anyway. And uh, it, it, since it's touched virtually every industry, it's touched every American. And uh, I'm ready for it to stop. I'm ready for things to return to some sort of normal, whether it be a normal that we easily recognize or even a normal that we're going to have to adjust to, but let's get back to something that, uh, that, that we can more easily deal with. Yeah, something that we can predict six months out or seasonally uh, adjust for our seasons uh, accordingly. You don't get those in Florida like we do up north because we're, we're, we switch with the changing of the seasons uh, and the ice. I mean, last year, ice tackle was almost impossible to get. So, And, and this year, I started ordering ice tackle uh, Right when the ice went out last year, last March and April, and I still don't have some of it here, so I'm I'm still fighting that. But uh, yeah, the uh, I think you told me once Dave, the only Dave, Dave. I know you guys like the seasons up there down in Florida. We love the seasons too. That's why we get rid of all the terrible ones, and we just have spring and summer basically. <laughs> it, it, you do, and it's it's beautiful. And I know every time I'm down there, uh, I do do uh, like being there. And uh, of course, um, uh, this week the. Uh, the ASA Summit is happening down there in Naples, and uh, uh, I, I think uh, many, not all of the uh, the industry leaders uh, of the sport fishing industry will be there, but it's uh, 
it, you know, it's definitely still hampered by the, by COVID. It, it really is. You know, uh, we talk about the summit and it's, uh, it is an industry leader kind of thing. It's where the American Sport Fishing Association uh, gets together with the uh, board of directors of that organization and with committee members and so forth. And a lot of decisions are made. Um, it's also the best networking opportunity in the industry. So uh, that's one of the reasons I'm going. Um, but it, it's it's uh, attendance is going to be severely impacted by the virus. Uh, you know, we saw ICAST take a hit of about a third. You know, about about a third fewer attendees were there at ICAST this year uh, because of, of virus and travel considerations. Of course, you don't have a lot of international travel these days because of various travel restrictions. But I am expecting the ASA Summit to be hit even harder, partly because um, partly because ICAST was hit so hard with the virus. So many people came away and were ill with the virus. So I'm I'm anticipating that an event that usually has 225, 250 people might have only 100 or so people this year. Yeah, and, and I think the fact that uh, probably everybody that was I, at ICAST knows somebody that was affected by, by the virus. So that would, you know, make them a little more cautious or make them uh, make a different decision rather than... Uh, then go there, but for the the listeners, the uh, the industry, uh, the summit that goes on, a lot of decisions are made for the industry by the industry. Uh, you know, heads of these companies, uh, presidents, CEOs, vice presidents, and it's it's a good thing. Uh, great networking opportunity. A lot of brainstorming goes on. A lot of opportunities for people to uh, uh, see each other that may only see each other once or twice a year. I cast in the summit and. Uh, but but it is good, and unfortunately, I will not be there. I'm going to try to attend remotely as I can for my committee uh, meetings that I made a commitment to, and uh, we'll see what happens there. But uh, I um, any any closing uh, remarks as far as uh, industry trends? I, I mean, eighteen months is that your gut that it's going to be that long? I know that that's what you've heard. What what's Ken Duke's opinion? <laughs> I've given up on my opinion, Dave Kranz. I've given up on my opinion. And I'm going to bow to the best experts I can find. And uh, they seem to be saying that we've got at least another year of these interrupted supply chain issues. And, um, and, and who knows? It might be longer than that. I'm hearing a lot of 12 months. I'm hearing a lot of 18 months. Uh, and I have no reason to doubt these folks. I have no reason to believe that, that their information is not accurate. So uh, I'm sticking with a number that I don't like which is 12 to 18 months. Well, and I think that's a uh, legitimate number and another reason why the retailers need to uh, step up their game and buy a little different and buy from multiple sources and be a good customer. Make sure you're paying your bills on time so that they have no reason not to send it to you if you have that opportunity. And uh, as always, Ken, great information. Always enjoy talking to you. Thanks, Dave, for having me on the program. Say hey to Steve for me. I will, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to you again in the future as soon as I can get some more lobster in the green room. <laughs> <laughs> and no green M&Ms, you know that. No green M&Ms, got it. Excellent. Thanks, Thanks man. Thanks. That was Ken Duke. Uh, I am Dave Cran, Steve Sarlier's remote, and this segment of the We Fish ASA podcast was brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. We will be right back after these messages. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Calcutta. We're an outdoor coastal trading company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. Born in the back of a Florida bait and tackle shop, Calcutta was created with a rebellious spirit and a goal to offer hardworking outdoor products at a reasonable price. Calcutta builds the products that fit your lifestyle. We're on a mission to help you reclaim your free time and to declare mutiny on the mundane. Depend on Calcutta gear and apparel. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long-control light lure casting. 
MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range, no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Petula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Sarley. Dave Kranz is my partner, but he is not in studio. He is remote. Uh, we Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. Please help to ensure the future of fishing by visiting keepamericafishing.org. And if you're an industry professional, please consider joining the American Sport Fishing Association by going to asafishing.org. I just love picking our guests, and uh, so many people have influenced fishing and uh, won awards and won tournaments and just absolutely knocked it out of the box when uh, it comes to fishing. No matter what time or what type, uh, everybody is great. But here's a guy that I have liked for a long, long time, and he has certainly uh, had a career full of accolades, uh, over a million dollars in walleye fishing, and every award you could possibly imagine, but he put the, the, the cherry on top of this Sunday by being named to the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame. Please welcome a guy I've known for a long time, Mr. Tom Keenan. Hey, Tommy, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. It's good to hear your voice. Yeah, thank you very much. Always good to hear yours, and it, it's amazing because... Uh, I would have always referred to uh, Tommy Keenan. Somebody said, what do you think of Tommy Keenan? I said, oh, he's a good kid. I, I, I guess those days are gone, huh? Yeah, boy, it is amazing. I, I was I was the young kid forever, and after 30 years, it's unbelievable. Uh, it is absolutely fantastic. And I'll remember, I can't, you know, I've, I've been doing uh, radio and this podcast thing forever, and I always uh, said at one time, I, I interviewed you uh for a terrestrial radio show I did in Chicago for a long time, and we did the interview, and uh, I asked you about the upcoming season. I don't know if it was before the season or we had one event on the books, but you said, you know, Steve, I'm going to win the Angler of the Year this year. And, and I was sitting there, and, you know, I'm glad we weren't on TV because I was probably rolling my eyes and shaking my head, and I said, man, Tommy Keene is the cockiest guy on the water. How can you say before the season even gets going, you're going to win the Angler of the Year? Lo and behold, end of the season, I'm interviewing you about the Angler of the Year that you had won. Yeah, see, you know, I think I, I, I think that's half a tournament fishing is uh, just having confidence. I had thought, you know, when we did the interview, I think I go, this is the cockiest guy I've ever talked to. And after you you started winning, you know, first tournament, second tournament, you're you're right up there and all the time. Oh, this guy's not cocky. He's sure of himself. Uh, is is am I saying that right? I think that's true. You know, and I think that might have been what some people thought about me over the years. But I worked really hard. I uh, I cared more about my performance than probably other people did. And uh, when I didn't do well. It didn't make me feel good about myself, so that would motivate me to do it better and do it harder. Well, it's it's funny because when I say uh, uh, saying you're cocky would be a negative to some people, saying you're confident would be positive, but it, it's the same thing one way or the other. If you're not confident or cocky, how can you win? How can you go out and win? Are you supposed to be surprised when you win then? I don't think so. I think you have to have some confidence. Yeah, that, that was my goal the last, like, five years I fished was every single day I went out fishing, my goal was to figure out how to catch a limit of walleyes and hopefully be fishing where the biggest ones existed. But I figured throughout the course of a year, if I could catch five fish a day at the end of the year, I was going to make a lot of money. <laughs> and uh, the last two years I fished the NWT Tour, I caught a limit every day, and lo and behold, I made a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, that that's uh, uh, that is absolutely amazing. Let's talk about uh, let's let's go over your career real quick. I, I think you started uh, fishing professionally or professionally on the tournament circuits back in eighty nine, ninety. 
I, I finished my first, I was a 19 year old kid. I was going to school in Oshkosh. It was my freshman year of school and there was a tournament coming to Little Baby Knock. And my brother and I had grown up fishing there. So for the hell of my brother and I decided to fish it. And we'd have taken second place. We lost by 0 0.03 pounds and it really kind of lit the fire for me to do what I wanted to do. And um, that kind of focused me in college for the next three years to get out of school so I could actually do something I really enjoy and could chase my dream. Hey, you know what? That's, that's a very healthy attitude because, you, you know, I remember reading that saying uh, that you, you got inspired to, to finish college. I go, wait, most guys would say, I'm inspired. I want to go fishing. Forget this college stuff. I'm going to put all my juice into fishing now. But you, you did the right thing for yourself. I think I did. You know, I I, uh, I worked. I had a full time job the whole time I fished. So when I was, I started fishing the full big professional tours in 2004. And why I did that, I had a full time job managing a very high volume retail store. And so I didn't get a lot of time off. So all everything I did resolved around fishing. So even on my days when I was off, I fished. When I was at work, I was always involved in fishing, and uh, I worked really hard at that for many, many years where I'd work nine days in a row, go pitch a tournament for seven days, and come back and work nine days in a row. So I had 25 days practice, but I'd never get a day off, and uh, it was a lot of work, but I sure did enjoy it. Sure did. You, you, worked, you, you worked for Gander Mountain. I remember uh, to do interviews, I'd have to call you at the Gander store, and uh, was that a benefit? Working for Gander and fishing professionally, I, number one, were they liberal with your time off saying, well, he's going to uh, gain a bigger profile, it's going to drive more people to the store, or, or were they not as concerned about your fishing? It was a little bit of both. When I first started, it was a little harder to obviously get some of that time off. But then I went out and won an FLW championship in 2003 and won $300,000. <laughs> and from that point, and that point on, Gander was always one of my big sponsors. So they would actually, A, financially support me, but also support me with vacation too, which is fantastic. And uh, I had a great boss uh, for 17 years. He was my boss, and he would always understand the importance of me working, uh, of my fishing and working, and he kind of just let me do my thing. And uh, it was a great partnership between him and I, great partnership. Hey, you know what? Realize this. People are listening to this. Go, oh, yeah, uh, Tommy Keenan, the walleye fisherman, managed a gander. That's cool. That's a good. Well, you weren't managing the fishing department. You managed a gander. I, I ran the biggest, highest volume store we had out of 160 stores. I was the boss. All right. So should we be talking walleye fishing, or would you like to talk about trends and jock straps and football jerseys? <laughs> no, I'm a fish. I'm a fisherman. I'm a, in 2019. You know, I, I want I want angle there on the NWT, and I retired on stage in 2019. And the last two years. I've actually got back into fishing for fun. Yeah, I uh, fish with my a lot with my wife, my kids, my mom, my dad, and we fish bluegills, crappie, perch, trout, walleyes, and I'll be honest with you, I really truly forgot how much fun fishing truly is. Yeah, it's not work anymore. It's uh, it's something you don't you don't have to do, and you don't have to worry about getting back to work afterwards. And we'll talk about work, but. Uh, I, I can see it's totally different. You're, you're not old by any. How old are you now, Tommy? I'm, I'm, I'm 53 now. I'm going to be 54 next month. 53 and retired. That's something that everybody should uh, aim for. I think that's a, that's a wonderful thing. Uh, oh, I still, I actually still, I actually still got a full time job, but I just retired from fishing. All right, all right. Let's let's do that. You have a full time job. Who are you working for now? I, I work for. Where I used to. I spent all that time at the same Gander Mountain and. Uh, I left there two years ago, and I work for a place called Chase Outdoors right now, which is only located two blocks, and we're at Gander. We're a small independent retailer that is um, starting to take over the, the city of Wah. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, yeah, and you, you had, after you, uh, uh, you had uh, dipped your toes in the manufacturing, you worked for Evanwood for a while, right? 
I did actually. When I left, when I left Gander and uh, two years ago, I went to work for Everton for a year. But unfortunately, we know how that worked out. We how that worked out. Man, I always say that that absolutely blew my mind when that happened. My my first. Uh, uh, you know, when I was a when I was a kid, I think I was 13 years old. My dad bought my dad gave me a, a three and a half horse Evinrude, uh, and I just ran ran the heck out of that up in Wisconsin constantly. And uh, you know, I've always been a, always been an Evinrude fan. And all of a sudden, I know her gone. Man, oh man, that's that was I, devastating. I, I, I was when that happened. I was you know, I was a I was disappointed because I lost my job. But I was really disappointed because we lost an American Wisconsin icon. Yeah. And uh, that really, really, truly bummed me out. I did not like that. No, no. And, uh, well, it's still not done being played out, I guess. Uh, we'll, we'll see where all this goes down the down the way. It's it's just a, it's a, it's a strange, strange uh, uh, society with everything that happens. All right, so, so you retire on stage. Uh, which is pretty ballsy, you know, to stand there with the the big check and I'm done. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for the for the trophy and the check and uh, have a great rest of your life. I'm go- I'm planning on doing that for myself. Oop, and you're gone. Uh, you had obviously planned that in advance. How much before getting handed the AOY award did you know you were going to walk out? Um. I would, I would say early summer, you know, I, I'd had the conversation with my wife, you know, I'd, um, I got out of, I got out of a really fast paced retail environment and it was, it was just time. It was time to do something different. It was just time to do something different. And, um, I wanted to change my life and not go at a thousand miles an hour. So I actually, in the same year, I quit a job of 27 years and quit fishing after 30 years, all in the same year. And, uh, and, uh, it's been a, uh, it's been hard, but I've adjusted to it now, and life, life is um, absolutely incredible right now. I kind of get to do what I want, and um, obviously, this latest Freshwater Hall of Fame is kind of the, the last, I guess, last battle that I have to do to, I guess, prove what I could, I couldn't do in fishing, and uh, made it, it meant a ton to me. Excellent, very good, very, very good. Uh, you know, th- there's no, uh, th- there's nothing in writing, and nobody would hold it against you if all of a sudden you got the itch and said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna do, uh, I'm gonna do one or two tournaments." What, why, why not? Uh, what do you think the chances are of that ever happening? Yeah, it was, it was, it was hard. It was hard to walk away from it 100. percent But you know, in the long run, I'm happy I did. You know, after fishing Great Lakes and big bodies of water, you know, starting to get older, and I was always afraid I hit one wave and. You know, I could change your life back and forth as hard as we pushed it, you know, running them long distances. And I think the time to break away was perfect. You know, my kids were both graduating from college, and I got to start enjoying life with my wife. And uh, we fish a lot together. Now. Yeah, it, it, is, it is amazing. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about, you know, the long runs uh, astonish me, how far guys will go to catch fish. And uh, not to say that they don't. They do it in bass. They do it in, in walleye as well. I just think that uh, on the walleye side, you're attacking a lot more big water, hard water, dangerous water to be on, and uh, I don't think a lot of people realize how difficult it can be to get to feeding fish when you're fishing walleye professionally. Yeah, you know, you know what? A couple of years back at Saginaw Bay, I ran 89 miles in one direction two days in a row. <laughs> and you, know, you think about it, you're spending four hours driving. When you get there, you get four hours of fish. If any wind blows whatsoever, you know, you're toast. You, you can't do it. And um, you just can't get back. And people don't realize that when you're running in two to three and four foot waves, you're running 15 to 30 miles. That's tough on a, that's tough on a body. And uh, I got very lucky not to hit one wrong wave and screw something on my back. And I decided it was a great time to walk away. I was still in great shape. And just I had nothing left to prove in the sport of fishing. I really didn't. I'd had enough. And it was time to... It's hard to walk away, but in reality, when I when I did it, I knew it was the right time, and um, I've never regretted it, never, ever, never. Excellent. We've got Tommy Keenan. He's a new member of the National Professional Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, uh, located uh, in Hayward, Wisconsin. Uh, they cover the world. He was the only walleye fisherman to get in. As a matter of fact, uh, 
uh, you and Heiding were the only two fishermen. Everybody else is, well, I shouldn't say that. Everybody else is more known for conservation and teaching. We'll talk about your teaching uh, and that. We'll talk more about the Hall of Fame. Tom Keenan, absolutely top of the charts when it comes to walleye fishermen. So happy to have Tommy Keenan on. This is We Fish ASA. I am Steve Sarley. We'll be right back with more Tom Keenan after this. You know, when I look at the tournaments I've won, probably four or five of the boats that I've won have been on a tube. But I had completely gotten away from flipping a tube because nobody, nobody made one soft enough. Big Bite has come with this new tour series of baits. The thing that's probably the most unique is when you look at that bait, the salt just rolls out of it. And to me, that is the reason a fish bites a tube and hangs on to it. This isn't one of those, let's go out and catch some smallmouth tube. This is a let's get it done tube. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Petula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. The St. Croix story has evolved over 70 years. With gritty determination, St. Croix built the most advanced fishing rod facility in the world. And with it, a world-class brand that has earned the respect and admiration of anglers around the planet. We will continue to challenge ourselves, our employees, and our partners to be the best every day. We're proud to celebrate 70 years of passion and commitment to making the best rods on earth. St. Croix. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I am Steve Surley. My partner Dave Kranz is remote. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. We're here with the one of the very newest members of the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, Tommy Keenan. Hey, Tommy, welcome back. I said, you know, you're talking about rough water. Uh, You've done this for many years before they came out with these uh, uh, boat seats that are like sitting in an easy chair in front of your in front of your TV in the living room. You know, oh, for for sure. This amount of technology that changed since 1989 to now, as far as boats, motors, electronics, it, it's it's crazy. Crazy. Now, for for sure, it's funny because you know I'll ask guys what's the you know what what's the biggest innovation, and uh, uh, probably talk to you know eighty percent bass guys, and and it's always you know sonar or or, or whatever. Uh, you talk to walleye guys, and I think the uh, the uh, specialized boat seats are, are a lot higher on the list than uh, than it is for the for the bass guys. It does I, make- I would say I would say boat seats and boats themselves. So just to have a boat that, you know, a fiberglass boat that you can fish in two and three foot waters. You know, getting there is one thing, but once you get there, you got to be able to fit. You got to physically be able to fish too. And the technology has made it now, so we can do both, and it's unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. You know, talk about uh, stuff like uh, uh, sonar and uh, you know the people that you used and and, and trolling motors. Uh, uh, it just increased increased the ability to catch fish by so much. Uh, what 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 sticks out in your mind as a as a major uh, innovation? Obviously, side side imaging from Hummingbird was crazy when it came out when we first learned how to use it. But nowadays, it's you know the trolling motor technology is so superior. You know, just the ability to go down the shoreline and hit a button spot lock. And it grabs a GPS for and holds your boat there until you move. I mean, that's nuts. It's just, it's the technology has changed and advanced so much since I started. It's it's unbelievable. You think about when I started, there was no such thing as braid. You know, now now we have all fluorocarbon. We got braid. We got line corner reels. We got GPS. We got mapping chips. You know, we got this technology that's almost not even fair. We got satellite imaging. We got apps on our phone to tell us which way the wind's going to blow. I mean, there's just, it, it's unbelievable how it's changed. It really it, is. It sure is. And I like the way you say almost unfair because it, it's true. Uh, there, there is so much, there is so much going on. Uh, 
and I hate this. I hate it when anybody says it's making fishing too easy because fishing is never easy. Um, you know, if it was easy, everybody would be uh, everybody would be limiting out. You'd never have uh, guys being short or, or coming in with nothing, and you still do. And you see the best guys having bad days. So no way is it too easy. Yeah, I mean, you got you got to definitely in the sport that I fish, you got to adapt. You got to adapt or starve. So basically, when new technology comes out, you got to adapt it and take it, learn and run with it. It's like now everybody's got live scope now, so you can actually see the fish live. And you know, you you need to stay on top of technology for what we do in the days of just fish, throwing an anchor on fishing a slip bob or rover. You know, you got to adapt and create new things. And uh, I was always very good at taking new ideas. When someone would show me something, you know, I was very good at absorbing it and try to figure out if I catch five fish an hour, what can I do to catch six or seven fish per hour? And um, that's a try always made me. I always try to be a little bit on, on the pioneer side. Yeah, yeah, makes 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 a lot of sense. It does make a lot of sense. Uh, education is important, and you've always been uh, one of the most in demand speakers at seminars, clubs, uh, whatever, you know, everybody want to hear Tom Keenan talk about catching walleye. I, I remember back to the day when uh, one of the highlights of my winter was going to the uh, Walleye Master Institute that uh, Ted Takasaki and Mike Norris used to put on in the Chicago Amen. area for a weekend, and they'd bring in the best fishermen, and you'd sit in that chair all day long and, and listen to the best, talking about the newest techniques, and it's kind of sad to me because I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the camaraderie. I enjoyed being with the guys. Uh, now you can do that any day on the internet. You know, looking at uh, looking at stuff on YouTube or websites or, or whatever. Uh, does that I, do you get a little wistful when you think about the old days and the way it's changed? I do. You know, I you think about it when you'd go to Ted's seminar. Say there's 70, there'd be say 75, 80, 100 people, whatever that number may be. There was people that would actually pay money to come to learn how to walleye fish. You just think about that. Pay money to listen to someone. So those, those guys and gals are serious. They want to become a good fisherman. And that was awesome. And that's one thing that I really enjoyed all the years I worked at Gander. People knew who I was. And they would come up and inquire, hey, I'm going, to, I'm going here walleye fishing. What should I do? Hey, I'm going to do this. What should I do? And I had always take the time and try to explain to them, you know, get us, ask as many questions as possible. How deep is it? What time of the year is blah, 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 blah. Then I'd always put a game plan together for them and they would buy a bunch of tackle to go do it. But my last thing was always, you know, I spent a lot of time helping you today. So I'd really appreciate when you get back, you know, come in and give me constructive feedback. You know, was I right? Was I wrong? Was there a mayfly hatch on? Was it windy? Was it calm? And, I'd always take all the information that they would feed back to me and I could always reform my game plan. So hopefully the next person I can make their trip better. Yeah. And I always really cared about that. I really truly did care about people going out and catching fish. Just not me. I wanted other people to enjoy our, such an awesome sport that we have. I wanted them to prosper, love it, like it, just to, you know, do what we could to keep our sport going. How old are your kids, Tom? Uh, 21 and 25. All right, now you got a couple potential partners for maybe an MWC run. What do you think? Not happening. Why? I'm done. I, I just, I, I'm done. I don't want to do it anymore. I did it enough. I fished uh, 28 NWTs in a row. I fished the last 50 FLW RCLs. So 78 events. I'm done. I'm done. All right, all right. Well, not going to happen. Not gonna, not gonna happen. Not gonna happen. Not gonna happen. Maybe you could be the the coach and put the two of them on a boat for the MWC. I'd do that, or you know, I'm actually looking forward to as God, if God's willing to give me um, some grandchildren. I'm hoping that I can really teach my my grandchildren to become very good ambassadors of our sport and teaching become good fishermen. That that would be cool. Let's talk uh, the state of walleye fishing. Uh, you you go back to doing this, and I, I'm not trying to trying to date you at all, but. Uh, because uh, you, you know you're still you're still a young guy, but you go back to it's got to be the uh, the golden age of walleye fisher walleye fishing as far as income goes. Uh, because you won three hundred thousand dollars fishing an, an RCL, which is 
RCL changed to FLW, which is now Major League Fishing, you know. Uh, but back in the day, they kicked off the first championship was up at Green Bay, and I think the top prize was $500,000. I, I don't know which one you won, if it was, was it the second, the third, but it was a $300,000 purse, $300,000 for walleye fishing. Guys today can't even imagine those days have ever occurred. It was unbelievable, you know. Two thousand, two thousand was the first big one, and I, uh, you know, so it was I won the fourth one. I won two thousand and three. Okay, and uh, it was unbelievable when I went in two thousand and I saw that first event. It's televised. It's live. Uh, there's they got freaking helicopters. They're doing live remotes. They're filming the whole thing for TV. You got cameraman. ESPN's involved. And like, holy cow, is the future of walleye fishing really, really bright? In the 2000s, walleye fishing was absolutely incredible. I mean, it was big money, big sponsors. You know, Chevy was a sponsor. Walmart was a sponsor. And there was a lot of money being made. But slowly, slowly, but surely, it became less and less and less and less. And it's, it's really sorry that it never didn't advance further. It actually lost ground. At one time, yeah. I thought we might become as equal and as big as bass. And we just, we never did, unfortunately. And it's really a shame, but... Uh, I definitely got in the glory days for sure, and I'm very happy I did. I, I don't know if you, I don't know if you're involved in it at all. I remember uh, uh, a couple of years, uh, ESPN created the uh, Great Outdoors Games, and part of it yep. they, had, they had all different competitions: axe throwing, log rolling, this thing. Yep. And and they had uh, they put the best walleye anglers in boats with the best bass fishermen, and I, I remember the the well the first year the gold medal was won by. Uh, uh, I think it was Mike Gofran and Rick Clun. And yep. uh, I said, oh, my goodness, uh, Bassmaster is accepting the fact that they are on the same playing field with the walleye guys. This is it. It's so cool. And it, it that died, and it never really went to the moon like I thought it was going after that. Yeah, I agree. That happened. That was in, that was in, uh, one of the, that happened in Madison. Yeah, it was a big deal. And it just, I, I did not participate. I wasn't fishing the PWT at the time, but. When I saw that, I was so excited for the future of our sport might become, and to watch it die kind of, it pretty really slowly breaks your heart. It really, truly does. All right. If you had to uh, uh, pick the three top places you would go to to fish for walleye exclusively, uh, where would you go? Well, it depends what you want to do. You know, if you just want, if you just want to go catch fish, Lake Erie's the best. Lake Erie's the best. It doesn't have a lot of big fish in it right now, but it has an estimated 160 million walleyes in it right now. <laughs> but it's still a fantastic fishery. Um, the Bay of Green Bay is still crazy good. It's not what it was, but it's still exceptionally, exceptionally good. And probably one of my favorite places to fish in the world. I love fishing doubles like North Dakota. I really, truly do. Um, you can disappear from people there. You can fish shallow. You can cast. You can jig. You can troll, you can slip bobber, you can do anything that your heart desires. And in a tournament format, it was awesome because you could always go find something where you did not have to fish by others. You, do, you could always go find something off the grid. It's hard to do it a lot of places, but Devil's Lake, you could always do it. And I and the nicest people in the world live in that area. That is an incredible fishery. Yeah, I, incredible I, place I, to be. I love it because it, it, uh, I, I love walleye fishing, but sometimes like when you're up on Green Bay, and it's a it's a yep. it's a trolling bite, and you look, and, and you've got a line of twenty five boats that have the exact same trolling pass in their GPS, and, and it just kind of takes a little of the shine off the apple for me when you're doing the same thing as yep. everybody else. Hey, uh, yep. uh, if you had your choice, one thing to do for the rest of your life: trolling or fishing with the rod in your hand. What was it, trolling, or what was the second Tro one? Fishing with the rod in your hand. Oh, rod in my hand. Oh my God, yeah. I, any tournament, I, I used to love tournaments where you physically had one rod in your hand. I love those tournaments. I don't care if we're casting ripping wraps, if we're casting a shad wrap, or whatever we're doing, but I love tournaments where you can actually have a rod in your hand, a jig or whatever it may be. I'm happy to hear you say that. Way, 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 way more fun. Happy to hear you say that. Happy to hear the news that Tom Keenan is in the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame. That excited me. I couldn't think uh, anybody more deserving at this time to get into the Hall of Fame than uh, my friend Tom Keenan. Tom, thanks for being with us. Best of luck to you and the family. 
We'll catch up with you again soon. Thank you so much for uh, supporting our sport. I really appreciate it. Tommy Keenan, folks. Tommy Keenan. How cool is that? That wraps up this week's edition of the We Fish ASA podcast, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. I'd like to thank today's guest, Dan Johnson, talking forward-facing sonar with Dave Kranz. Dave Kranz also spent a little bit of time with our good friend Ken Duke talking about the state of the industry. Some interesting things came up in that interview. And I just got to talk to an old friend, Tom Keenan, one of the best walleye fishermen of all time and the newest member of the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame. Yeah, Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame. There you go. Uh, enjoyed having Tom Keenan on. I'd like to thank our sponsors, St. Croix, the best rods on earth, Calcutta, makers of a line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion, and Daiwa. We've got your bass covered, Daiwa Reels. Remember that We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. It's available everywhere you get your podcasts. Don't forget it's always available at our website, wefishasa.com. Go to the website. You can send us a message. Please let us know what you think of this show. Let us know if there's something you'd like to hear us talk about or someone we should have on the show. We appreciate all of your correspondence. I'm Steve Sarley. My partner is Dave Kranz. We'll see you next week. Now, let's go fishing. I'm professional angler Kevin Van Dam, and people always ask me, what's the best and easiest way to catch fish? Well, that's simple. Keep our waterways clean and free of litter. You know, tossing your worn out lures in the lake is not a winning move. Pitch them in the trash. Do your part and join me. Visit KeepAmericaFishing.org and pledge to pitch it.